Hi, everyone. My name is Milena Batsalia Perianis. I'm the co founder of Madame and founder of Hershey. And Femtech to me is uh, revolutionary investors and innovators who give a shit about women. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus Podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today I interview Milena Bacala Perianis. Milena is a femtech expert and gender lens investing specialist. She is committed to driving more innovation and investment into women's health solutions that can close the gender gap. She's the co-founder of Madami and Menstrual Health Hub, which was just recently acquired. She's also the founder of the freshly launched Femtech-focused angel investing network called Her Share. In this episode, besides announcing the launch of Her Share, we discuss trends that we're seeing in Femtech, things like business models that are and are not working, fundraising strategies that do not include venture capital, and how we can get more men to attend Femtech events. If you're fundraising, go to hershare.co to submit your deal for potential investment. If you're a woman interested in investing in women's health, even if it's just a few thousand dollars, then you can also go to hershare.co and join the waiting list for the first ever femtech-specific angel network. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Milena. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brittany. How you doing? (laughs) You've been on before. You are actually our first repeat guest. Woo, woo, woo. In yeah. almost in like 185 episodes, you're the first repeat guest. So oh, that's something. So yeah, yeah. First winner, winner. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, uh, You've done so much amazing work in women's health over the last few years. You've been on the show before. Uh, listeners, we will put her previous episode in the show notes. It's all about her organization, Menstrual Health Hub, and menstrual health around the world, and period poverty, and period power and all of that really awesome stuff. Today, we're going to talk about Milena's new ventures. What is she working on? And then we're just going to kind of riff. I think that, you know, our industry is mature enough that we have enough content to just kind of like talk it through, like the view you were saying, right? We're, we're a little like <laughs> the vag view. <laughs> I was going to say we're going to shoot the shit, but it's, it's more like we're going to shoot other things that come out of your vagina, right? <laughs> Yeah, perfect. I love it. <laughs> so with that being said, um, <laughs> let's start to shoot things. So give us an update on Menstrual Health Hub. What happened? Well, so actually a lot of things happened. We had rebranded early last year to, to Madame and the Menstrual Health Hub had, uh, when we launched our digital platform, the Menstrual Health Hub. So we really wanted the digital uh, platform to retain the name. And this was really kind of a learning and knowledge network focused on menstrual health. And so, you know, we we launched the network. It really started to grow. And in the process of growing, you know, we actually managed to get a 
required, which is a really wonderful thing to happen and a surprising thing. So the Menstrual Health Hub now has this sort of new home um, with Uninhibited, which is an Indian-based organization that does extraordinary work around menstrual health. Um, and that transition is, I guess, still in its 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 processes, but by January 1st, 2023, it'll be um, handed over. And so we were really excited because when we started the Menstrual Health Hub, the idea was always that it should be rooted in the global south. Um, it felt like it was a much more fitting place for it to be. And it wasn't going, it shouldn't be led by sort of like, you know, white women based in, in Western countries. So we now have this amazing organization who has this huge vision and dreams to, to grow um, the network, you know, to build a menstrual health academy and to just make the menstrual health hub, you know, bigger and, and better than ever. So we're still working on Madame. Um, Madame really focuses on strategic consulting services um, for the femtech sector. And then now there's room for for new babies and, and new things in the pipeline. I am so proud of you. I am so impressed. You know, that is the goal of a lot of companies and organizations, right? <laughs> to have an exit, like um, to, you know, see that you built something that became valuable enough to another organization that they wanted to take it on. So, so proud of you. We're definitely counting that towards our annual exits for Femtech. Woo, and woo, 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 woo. yeah, continue to and publish... Those statistics that prove that what we're doing is, you know, gaining momentum. What were you going to say? And I was just going to say, look, I have to have a huge shout out to my co-founders, Danielle Kaiser and Mariana De La Roche, because it's it's a hard journey, like being an entrepreneur and working in, in femtech, right? So, you know, we built this business for just under six years and, you know, we'd had lots of struggles. We had lots of ups and lots of downs. Um, it's, it's really hard building an organization with kind of a hybrid business model, and, you know, this was like a really big win. One, because we always believed that the sector really needed this sort of like cross-sectorial, you know, learning, networking and knowledge platform. And I guess, too, from for ourselves, right, that, you know, what we did mattered because sometimes you're on this entrepreneurial journey and you're just kind of floating around in space, space throwing shit at the wall or in our case, you know, period blood at the wall and being like, <laughs> is anybody hearing me? Like, does any of this matter? <laughs> and so it's really great that we know not only does um, our dream kind of have a, a new home and with people who just take it to the next level, but that, you know, where we invested our blood, sweat and tears, metaphorically and actually physically, you know, that it's paid off and it's not yeah. financially paid off is not what I mean but like paid off in a way that I guess what we what we've been doing is having an impact that's right well I'm so proud of you that's incredible and you are using this as a launch pad to your next big thing so what are you working on now <laughs> what am I working on now Brittany um <laughs> well I guess in the after six years, seven years working in this space, you know, the biggest problem that we all have is money. There's just not enough money moving. And so, you know, I work with all these female founders. I work with investors and it's just like, we can't get money moving and get money going to where it needs to be. And so I decided, you know, this is the gap that I really wanted to solve and, and how do you solve it? Right. So, um, today, as in when this podcast launches is kind of the, the launch of her share, which is a global angel investing network that is focused on closing the femtech investment gap. Oh my so, God. Woo, 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 excitement. Big alert. Launch alert, <laughs> launch alert. So cool. Her share. So what a cool name. Her share. It is very hard to name things. Every founder will know that. Like you always want to come up with something that's like flexible, that makes sense, that's vague. But the idea is 
behind her share, of course, is that every woman is able to get her share. So we want to connect angels and founders who are passionate about femtech. So you know this, that one of the major challenges facing the industry is that the average VC has a penis. (laughs) They don't understand the opportunity of the femtech industry. You know, they can't really judge the potential of any particular innovation because it's not, not solving a pain point that they can grasp. And so we fundamentally end up with all of these founders often women who are pitching businesses and told that their market is niche, that their innovation doesn't make sense or that their business isn't defensible. And there just aren't enough women at the table to kind of champion or shepherd through Mm -hmm. these deals. And so what I kept thinking about was, well, we have all these potential investors, we have founders and future users who are fundamentally kind of missing out, right? And Femtech is this huge opportunity. So what I really wanted to do was, I think of it, well, what I think of as the, her share is sort of the feminist financial revolution, as sort of ridiculous as that sounds, right? I love it. It came out of, yeah, <laughs> let's break the system. No, well, look, it came out of my own problem, right? Was I wanted to angel invest and I couldn't find anyone for these founders to, to for them to invest it in, right? It was really hard to get into VCs because they were early stage or they didn't get it. And then as an individual, I couldn't angel invest, right? Like I didn't have enough money to put in 10, 20, 30K. You know, I wasn't sure if I could really do due diligence on my own. Um, And, you know, I didn't have access to the exclusive networks. And so I just wanted to be able to close that gap between what I call the ordinary woman. And I use this in inverted commas, Brittany, ordinary woman, right? Who has the potential to generate wealth, who understands these opportunities and these found who have great businesses. And so the idea is that it's kind of like cyclical and revolutionary that you have an investor who's able to invest in something that's important to her. And actually she's potentially the future user of this product. And you have these founders that are going to have access to capital from people who understand the market, right? They understand the product because they might be a future user of that product. So that's the idea behind her share. I love it. How is it different from crowdfunding? So that's a great question. So, I mean, crowdfunding or crowd investing, uh, the challenge with crowdfunding or crowd investing is on the founder side, right? Like the founder has a lot of lift to do in order to effectively crowdfund. Yeah. And the reason why I differentiate between crowdfunding and crowd investing, because you can crowdfund where you have no product and you give nothing back. So people just, you know, essentially donate their capital because they believe in you. You can crowdfund where you're pre-purchasing a product, or you can crowd invest where you get future equity in a business, right? So they're, they're different. So I think crowd investing has become more effective method for, uh, for founders in the femtech space, but it is still taxing to set up. I mean, you're going through this process yourself. You actually have to have a certain amount of capital committed beforehand for it to actually be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're still sort of working on sort of a kind of a network-based effect. I think yeah. the beauty of an angel investing network is there's value for the angels and there's values for the founders, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the the angels come in and, you know, they're making investments and generating their potential future wealth in the way that kind of a traditional investor would. Um, they have access to sort of financial education and this network of like-minded individuals. Um, and I think for founders, the benefit of accessing an angel in- investing network could be access to larger amounts of capital. Unfortunately, there's also a certain legitimacy from raising capital from an angel investing network. And the beauty of a network is that they also then often are maybe connected or have relationships with funds. So for example, her share might be able to invest and then we'd also be able to bring in other investors because we've invested. So I think there's a level of due diligence that goes into the process. 
um, that is harder when you're just an ordinary individual, right? Like I invest in lots of crowd investing platforms and you only get access to whatever information the company puts up there. And most of the time it kind of is just it is a bit of a gamble, mm-hmm. but when you have something, I guess it has a bit more formality or people with experience, they kind of delve into the financials, right? And the legalities and the regulations. I say this, hopefully they do this. They're able to do, I guess, a, a deeper level of um, due diligence that hopefully makes it a uh, less risky investment, investment, but angel investing is, I guess, is always has its, has its risks. Yeah. This is really, really interesting. <laughs> um, what would you say to a founder and investors listening to this in terms of how they can get involved? I know you just launched, so you're not like up yeah. and running and going. So how do they stay tuned? <laughs> Give me all your money. No, I'm completely <laughs> kidding. It's kind of really simple at this stage. We have a waiting list for potential angels. Like you don't need to be worried right now about committing money. You don't need to be kind of worried about, do I have enough experience? Join the waiting list. Tell us a bit about yourself and we'll get a sense of where you are and what you need to be able to to join um, the network. And then from the founder's perspective, we're opening up office hours. So if you're just looking for a quick one-to-one, like what are the kinds of opportunities out there, thinking about investment, not just raising from VCs, but other kinds of alternative models for raising capital. Um, And then also like, share your deck in details, right? If it's not an opportunity that might be suitable for us, you know, we have connections with other um, organizations, um, whether it be foundations, VCs, or kind of grind opportunities. And so we're trying to, I guess, um, pass pass the buck is definitely the wrong term. (laughs) (laughs) You know, kind of like pass it on as well, right? So founders, uh, check out the website. Potential angels, check out the website. Cool. Well, you brought up something that I know we wanted to talk about, which is venture capital. And so, you know, how do you see this as I think a lot of people see this trajectory of fundraising as family and friends? Like, first of all, you probably have to come from wealth to be successful. Like, or if you don't, like you have to figure out how to work three jobs or bootstrap or take credit cards. But alas, I digress. But that's usually the first step. Then you have these angel networks, right? And it, and crowdfunding, it's kind of what you, that stage, at least that you're kind of referring to. And then there's this like assumption that the next thing is venture capital. And venture capital for listeners, um, just a quick review, venture capital is these uh, investment firms that actually fundraise money from even larger pots of money, like private equity or family offices, very wealthy people. They then manage that pot of money between like 10 and 500 million or more dollars. And then they invest that out into startups. So just that's the quick and dirty. That's what venture capital is. What's your view on venture capital and where do you see it in terms of it, how it relates to femtech? Oh, so <laughs> it's a big things. question, actually. I should have said more of this a big question. Well, I think the irony, though, is that crowdfunding, angel investing, and then VC firms are all actually a part of the same trajectory, right? Like there's an element of it's all equity investing. You mm-hmm. lose a portion of your business from the get-go um, and you just start selling it off slowly with, with money. I think people think it's free money, but what you – what you are actually doing is giving up something that's really important and that's and that's power. And and I find that really problematic, I guess, for uh, for two reasons. You know, for those who understand the venture capital space, you know, 
they're looking for big wins. And so for most people who, are, who build a successful startup, if you're going down the VC route, you will not retain control of your business. It is very likely that within five years or 10 years, when you become successful, a seasoned CEO is brought in, you're kind of gently either pushed out completely or given some side role, like a strategy person or Mm -hmm. chief excitement officer or something ridiculous. And a kind of a, I say this again, professional and inverted commas is brought in to, to run your business. So it's really important to understand like what kind of business do you want to run? Like, is it that you want to be a sustainable business? You want to be scalable? Do you want to retain control? Or do you just want to go big and go home? None of these things are right or wrong. Mm-hmm. I think it's about understanding what you want in terms of building your own business to understand kind of what is the right capital. And, and venture capital, I mean, Brittany, you've been in this space, is just like there's so much inequity. Like there are so many sort of, I guess, systems and processes in place. A lot of them are really problematic. Some are, some are necessary because there's so much money involved. Um, and so it really kind of restricts what can and can't be done. And I think obviously as women, as, as female founders, as women focused businesses, there's, there's a lot that the femtech industry kind of loses out in, mm-hmm. in this space. Yeah. I mean, I have so much to say. <laughs> a few, a few comments. I'll Get say, it, girl. Like, Get it out. <laughs> um, there, I, you know, I've had femtech founders come to me say, "Hey, I have a potential investor, but they said that they um, want to see that I have investment from a femtech fund. Fem funds usually do like three to five deals a year, three to five investments a year, like on average, right? And if we only have six femtech funds, of which in totality, it's about $150 million under management, which is like not even a full teardrop in the bucket. Like it's such a little, mm-hmm. like it's a little spritz in the bucket. Um, If you're relying on, what is that? Four times six is 24, right? Do I know how to do math, right? 24? Yeah. Um, <laughs> like if you're one of, you know, 800 women's health companies fighting for 24 investments from funds that even themselves have US only, you know, we don't do Europe or reproductive health only or female founder only or no med devices, right? Like all of a sudden that 24 or sex tech, all of a sudden that 24 comes to four, you know, potential investments you're fighting for. And if you can't fundraise without somebody saying, oh, unless you have that money, like I'm not going to invest. Like, first of all, that's a huge disadvantage. And then um, another point I wanted to make was just that, you know, what you said, I I thought VCs were like um, the change agents of innovation in Mm -hmm. terms of like, they had the biggest checks to make the biggest difference. And I thought if I had a seat at that table, then I could make that big difference. And, you know, as listeners, you know, I've been a VC in the past. I co-founded Coyote Ventures. I'm now an advisor to Coyote because it just didn't fit my lifestyle, really, honestly. And, And this is what I'm kind of alluding to here is at the end of the day, I realized I was still chained to so many bylaws, to what my investors were telling us that mm-hmm. we had to do, right? I was still answering yes. to other people about what to do yes. with their money. And I was like, damn, I'm not the change agent. Like, it's still them. Like, it's still it's still one level higher than me. Um, And at, at the end of the day, I've realized that I want to build my business to the point that I'm personally so financially successful, I could just angel invest. And then it's my money my time, whatever I want, I can kind of check, right? Yeah. And now a quick word from our sponsors. 
If you're looking to give superpowers to your care team and scale your operations while delivering the best digital clinic experience, then listen up. Today, I want to introduce you to Nabla, a company I've known for over a year now that's building an impressive AI assistant for healthcare professionals. It's allowing them to spend less time on administrative tasks and more time caring for their patients. Nabla does this by providing messaging, video consultation, and scheduling modules augmented with AI capabilities that automate tasks like consultation note-taking, patient record updating, triaging, and asynchronous follow-ups. On average, it cuts the time spent by physicians on filling out clinical notes by half. And who wouldn't want that? It's used by digital clinics all over the world, including multiple femtech companies. Whether you're a newly launched digital clinic or an established one, Nabla offers full-stack communication solutions as well as bespoke integration with existing tech infrastructures. If you want to see what it looks like, make sure to try Nabla for free by signing up at www.nabla.com. That's Nabla, N-A-B-L-A.com. It's digital care, superpowered. And now back to the interview. It's, it's so funny that you say this and the way you phrased it as well, because as a founder, you walk around kind of begging for money, right? You have the best business in the world, but there's this element of kind of like begging and hope someone understands it. Yeah. And I thought, wow, if you're a VC, if you're on the other side of the table, you're no longer begging and maybe having people who care and like believe in things, yeah. right? Will, will, will be a game changer. <laughs> and then as you start to slide over, you realize actually VCs just have to beg richer people for money, yeah, right? There's like always somebody on top of you with the shoe, yeah. the boot on your neck. And, and it's, it's really, really hard. I, I agree that I think what we need to think about is like how, how do we think about investment? How do we think about accessing capital in a very, very different way that it doesn't have to be just sort of this like traditional system and, and traditional route. Yeah. And so what do you think VC is good for? And what kind of businesses would you say, especially in femtech, what kind of businesses in femtech do you see currently pitching that you're like, girl, no, like just be a badass small business, you know, and small business doesn't mean small. It means like you own majority and like maybe you have some angels to pay off with revenue later. Right. Like, so, so tell me. What's a good business? Look, I don't think it's about a good business. It's about understanding what is VC backable, right? So there's a few things that a VC backable business has to have. It has to have some kind of tech component, right? That is kind of core. If you don't have a technological component, it is very difficult to become VC backable. Not impossible, right? Companies like Allbirds, right, that make shoes and clothes, ridiculously overpriced shoes and and clothes has received investment, but it is very, very hard. So I think in the femtech industry, that's something to kind of keep in mind. I think the second is to understand that uh, a VC backable business, the VCs used to say they're looking for 10, 10x returns. They're now looking for 20, 30, 50x, right? So your market it's not just a billion dollar market. It has to be billions and billions and billions. And so I think when you really kind of understand how they're looking at markets and how you're looking at your business, you might realize why you're getting rejected quite early on because your business is great, but it's just not the right fit. So I think like certain kinds of businesses that aren't necessarily suited in the beginning to VC money is where you have some kind of like direct to consumer product that has absolutely no tech angle, right? Being able to do things like um, raise uh, to, to, to get grants, 
I mean, I think the whole sector underestimates the potential of R&D grants. There's an insane yes. amount of money that's out there. Get out there, you know, t- be able to test and build your product, right? Like really figuring out your product market fit, the efficacy of your product. We're talking about women's health. We need to stop fucking around and talking about how we can solve every single health problem. You know, we need to be going through kind of rigorous testing. So I think that's really key. I think the second is that we're not really accessing um, debt, right? So there's Mm. a lot of money out there that obviously would be debt, right? It's a loan. Um, and obviously women are less likely to take out loans for their businesses than than men. And that's because we, you know, we don't want to carry that burden. But the reality is that you often need that kind of um that you need debt to be able to kind of grow your business and as you in just between. need that little something and build the MVP yes, to get to, that first to sale. Build it, like, to get oh. it off the ground. Yeah. And to be honest, you yeah. probably you can be in a much better position than to access VC capital at a later later date, right? Don't sell your business early. And I mean, I think not everybody's in a position to take on debt, but it also says something. If you're so unwilling to put any risk on the table, why would you think investors are willing to take that risk as well? Mm -hmm. So I know it's it's very cautionary. You've got to be very careful about kind of, you know, um, protecting yourself and your finances. But the fact that women are so less likely to seek out loans to finance their own businesses is, is a challenge. I think a lot of businesses would do better from... And the vast majority of femtech companies are founded by women and a lot of moms. Like I need to figure, I don't know how we survey that, but how many, you know, proportion of our founders that are not only female or identify as women, but also have families because that probably also interacts with that statistic, right? Of, you know, if she is the, you know, the chief medical officer of her family, right? And she's thinking about taking out a personal loan for 20K, like there's a lot of other factors That's that cool. moms may consider versus um, you're a young white dude in college, like whatever, YOLO, <laughs> pay it off later, oh, you yeah. know? Bankruptcy, it's everybody's best friend if it doesn't <laughs> yeah. work out. It will just become a, my, it will come part of my cool guy narrative. yes no and it is true right like you can't underestimate your own financial situation um but vc money is not free money right it feels free and it feels like it's easy but it's 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 really not i think there's a great book that i recommend called adventure finance by any pattern power and it's all about alternative financing methods and business models um for founders who are really trying to think outside of the box it's not saying because you're not backable it's just like we don't want to go down this traditional route of i'm a founder i get money from a vc and it's just build 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 scale 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 um so i really highly recommend different founders check that out because it gives you a real sense of there is a lot of different kind of money out there there are really different business models you could be building yeah i think we need this content in our excel accelerators and stuff because, you know, when I, as growing up as a little founder over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, like all the programs, all the books, all the things told me like step one, family, friends, step two, angel, step three, venture capital. Right. And like, really just thought like that was it. And I am worried that the uh, programs today are continuing that paradigm. And so we have these founders thinking that that's the only route. Um, But I also think that angels have it stuck in their head that they, that is what needs to happen. So I am fundraising for Fem Health Insights and I've talked to some angels and they're like old school angels, right? They've been around for a while. They got money. They know how to cut a check. 
but they've been telling me like, what's your exit strategy? I'm like, honestly, probably hopefully like an aqua hire in the next three to five years by like a pitch book. And they're like, aqua hire? Like, oh, I hate that term. That's a terrible. And I was like, maybe I'm not understanding what aqua hire is. And I like kind of checked up with some mentors. (laughs) I was like, it means like they buy my company, but I still get to run it just under them. Right. And they were like, yeah. And they were like, just say liquidation event. Right. Like the word needed to change to, I anticipate a liquidation event in the next three to five years. But it was like this thing where these these angels were like, do not compute. Like they thought I was going to say, and then I'll raise 50 million and then I'll raise 100 million and then we'll IPO. Like, But I was like, no, I, I hope to only raise 100K in my crowdfunding. That's all I need really to make a profitable business. And then hopefully next three to five years. And they're like, what? Right? So do you think but that there's like these paradigms and it's angels too? Yeah. That is a perfect example, right? Like you need to wear the right thing. You need to say the right thing. You need to look the right way, right? Like it's 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 not necessarily about having a brilliant business. Like part of it is just like can you sh- can you shoot the shit, right? With angels or or VCs. I agree that there's there's definitely like a need for for angels to change the way they think about investing. Mm-hmm. I think the difference is, is that we are seeing different kinds of angels emerging, right? They're like one women are much more likely to invest um like aligning with their values so whether that's ethical or ethically aligned or kind of social businesses right they they will bet on businesses more because of there's a potential within sort of the solution in the sector some kind of change they're expecting and not just a huge financial return so i think one that's really important um but two, I do think there is a big group of this traditional investors, right? People who have made a lot of money, these angels. Even the term angel is absolutely oh ridiculous, right? I was just thinking that the other day. I said, who, coined, who said that? Probably an what? angel. Awesome. You know, like I'm no, your angel. Do you know actually like, where it comes from? I believe it comes from Broadway or something. Somebody Google me and fact check me, but it had to do with Broadway or like the arts. And it was these people that would come in and fund certain kinds of um, performances, theater shows, arts, Google it. And the term angel came in and then it translated over. And so often in those cases, it was like some kind of exactly the same thing, extremely high network individual who would come in and kind of save the day. And so that's the concept, which it's is like, actually well, no, really no surprise VCs have a God complex, right? If like the first <laughs> level is angels, like obviously, right? Uh-huh. Well, we've been talking about these trends in uh, venture. I'd love to talk about trends in business models, right? Because it kind of fits right in, right? So like you're investing in a business that's hopefully generating revenue via their business model. So what are some business models that you're seeing right now in women's health that are really exciting you? And what are some that may be problematic? So look, I think the first thing to notice is that the femtech industry is very, very nascent. There's not a lot of maturation. Maturation is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Um, in terms of the business models and the, the products and so forth, right? So what that means is we're still just trying to figure it out what works and what doesn't work. So I think in business models, you know, there was a big focus on D to C in the beginning. Everybody was trying to go direct to consumer, and you had kind of these successes of companies sort of building high profile brands through marketing campaigns and these sort of mm-hmm. social marketing bombshell campaigns. Um, and that's been effective, but they've really stalled, I think, in terms of like being able to really scale, which yeah. is important, like to hit a certain level of scale. And they took and venture so, money. And so they're required to scale, <laughs> right? Like they are successful businesses. Then they could have just stayed there, ding, but ding, because ding, they ding. took money from them, they're required to be a billion dollar company or whatever. Right. So continue. Yeah. yeah. 
So I love it. This all comes back. Um, but I think now we're sort of seeing this a bigger focus on on B two B, and look, I, I think that's I think that's what VCs want to see. So if you want to go down the VC route, these these B two B models are really interesting. I mean, in the US, we're starting to see a lot of this idea of looking at um, kind of employers and health insurance models. So rather than selling direct to a consumer, you're you know you're selling to somebody who can kind of buy at scale, right? The economies of scale, which are really, really critical. And that's, I think, the problem we haven't really solved in the femtech sector is like, what is an economy of scale for an average femtech business? So I think some of those become quite interesting and exciting in the right kinds of context, as well as being able to address sort of potentially like kind of systemic issues in terms of accessing health, healthcare. Um, So like, I'm excited by some of those businesses that are particularly around telemedicine and digital health that are building these B2B models. Um, I think B2G is very difficult, so business to government, but those that can crack it, I mean, the you know, the potential is huge. Yeah. Uh, I guess the business models that I'm finding really problematic is that like, specifically everybody is building a subscription business model. It's a mm. subscription service for everything you can possibly imagine. And actually, VCs love it. They love seeing a subscription service because it's repeat sales, right? And you can see that kind of the idea of like the lifetime value of your customers. Um, But the reality is that subscription services don't often work. I mean, the best example, I think, is Netflix, like fucking Netflix. Everybody has Netflix. I can't even watch normal channels on my TV at all. I only have like Netflix and Amazon Prime. Netflix everybody has and they're having issues in terms of their business model, right? Most of us will never be able to build a business that will get to that kind of level of growth mm-hmm. in terms of Netflix. I mean, Uber is now trying to build out a subscription model and they definitely can't sell it either. And so I really worry about these femtech businesses that are like, okay, it just makes sense to have a subscription model because you can see that it's a lot of money coming in and and um, and they're going to love it, like the VCs are going to love it. But in reality, what does it mean? So in the period space, they love a subscription model. And I'm like, I just don't think they're going to work. How many of us are just like, even when you have a really regular period, you're still like, oh, fuck, it turned up. I've got to buy products, right? Yeah, I think yeah. the second issue, yeah, right, all the time. I was I just at, regular period. I was just at Health in Las Vegas, um, almost 15,000 attendees, every woman's bathroom, no menstrual products. And I tweeted and I was like, missed opportunity, no menstrual products at the health conference. <laughs> And three women, three women, probably thousands more it happened to, but at least three approached me saying, yep, just got my flow. I had to leave the hotel, go to the strip, pay $30 for a little thing of pads because we're on the Las Vegas Strip. And I just missed like an hour worth of content and meetings because I had to go like address that. So yeah, even if those girls are on subscription, like they just got it, right? And so they just got it, right? And so- you're going to end up with a subscription service with a backlog of products, right? And the second you get a backlog of products, you're going to cancel your subscription and you're probably going to be kind of frustrated when you have to go through a difficult process to cancel any subscription because we all know that that's what they do, right? So literally, it's it's definitely not going to work. There's literally fintech apps right now that their their sole purpose is to help you cancel your subscriptions. Like, like you know, they're just, like, link your bank account. We'll help you cancel all the subscriptions you forgot about. <laughs> so, yeah. It's it's crazy, right? And so 
I'm just not convinced that, and, and it's not just, it's not that none of them can succeed, but it's that every single one of them has a very similar product. It has the same mm-hmm. subscription service and a sub- subscription service. It costs more a month than just going and buying a product directly. So you've got a real issue there around like, okay, from a business model perspective and revenue, like, yes, this gives us certain kinds of security and certain ways to growth. And this is what you're supposed to do. But actually I think in terms of understanding your customer and in understanding kind of consumer dynamics, like the two things don't necessarily align. So you might get kind of growth in your first year when everyone's excited, you have some kind of peak, peak moments. I think overall within two to three years, most of those businesses are going to see a massive massive drop off or right now we're in an economic crisis globally and the first thing everyone's doing is canceling all the subscriptions every piece yeah. everything you don't need that isn't absolutely necessary even some of the stuff that's necessary i mean it is freezing here in london and me and my partner refuse to put the heating on could we not really afford a higher bill we could but we're cutting costs because we're really conscious of where our money is going and everyone's thinking about that so what happens all of a sudden when a crisis hits everybody cancels their subscription and all your revenue falls right like so i just think that's one that i have a real bugbear with that a subscription model is not the only model and I just think in femtech, we're overestimating that it's the right route for every single business that we see. You have some suggestions of alternatives (laughs) or is that a whole hackathon, you know, like, cause I'm not, I know you were referring to like menstrual products, right. But also like apps, you know, like I see many, many, many apps that they're like, oh, we have the free freemium and then there's a pro model and it gives them extra stuff, right. That's going to be there. People are going to not use that as soon as, yeah, I can all these reasons you said. So is there alternatives that you know of? Yes, there are alternatives, but I do think that's like a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree. Apps apps is a great one, right? Like how many products do you really pay for? Like every single founder, and I say this because I've I've done the exact same thing, right? With a business where I was like, I'm gonna create a subscription service, mm-hmm. right? Like, how many apps do you really, really pay for? It is it's really very few. In the I think dating you'll find industry, that- I can actually re- uh, comment on oh, this. Yeah, As a founder of yeah. an app that had a, a pro feature, Faramore, my dating app, the average uh, percentage of users that paid is 5% in the dating industry, at least. is 5% of your users. 5%. And so when you're thinking about a $4.99 a month, and 5% of the, your users will be paying that. That's why you have these like massive campaigns of like, oh my God, we need to have 2 million users to even have a chance, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah, those are the statistics I think not a lot of people know. And then Apple takes 30%. I know Elon Musk just like tweeted that and he's like, did you know? And I'm like, please, dear God, tell me this man knew that before he bought Twitter. But you know what? He does d- everything he does is shocking. So, um, but thir- <laughs> Apple will take 30% of that $4.99. So now all of a sudden you're at $2 of, revenue from that 5% of your total user base. So again, Milena, what do we do? What do we do? I don't have an answer that solves it right now. But I mean, like Twitter is a great example and do not get me started on Elon Musk because yeah, I, I know. It will never end. I have yeah. so many feelings. But I'll get I'm another cease and desist letter. <laughs> another one. But, but Twitter does not have a sustainable business model. I want you to think about that. Twitter does not have a sustainable business model, right? 
Facebook sells ads and we all fucking hate Facebook now, right? For stealing our data, for selling a shit we don't need when I'm sad, giving me chocolate, right? Like if I'm above the age of 35 give me, and single, giving me dating ads or trying to sell me pregnancy tests or baby shit, right? Like it makes us mad and frustrated. And to be honest, I think the, like the data ad model is now proving kind of problematic as well. So I guess it's this is kind of a downer because it's like all these models aren't working, <laughs> even for bigger companies. But it, I guess it tells you just we're, we're at a time, I think, where we've definitely got to start stepping outside of the box, right? Like we really yeah. need to start thinking a little bit more creatively around where revenue is is coming from and what these things like growth and scale mean to us and what kind of business we want to build mm-hmm. because it's the the whole industry of kind of startup life and, and VC investment is is changing, right? And yeah. Femtech has never really kind of gone along with the trends. And so I think as founders, we need to understand how to play the game, but we also need to start really just dis- disrupting many of these kind of assumed processes and models and ways of doing, which don't fucking work. Don't work. One of the things I love about Femtech is that we take no shit and we are also set, making our own rules is what I find. We're very collaborative. I haven't been asked to sign an NDA in like three years, right? Like very collaborative, very upfront, um, driven by passion rather than driven by profit. Um, you know, as the core purpose of our mission, predominantly female. Um, and then when there are bad players, so like if someone in my virtual community, you know, posts something that's, you know, racist or something kind of phobic, blank phobic, you know, um, people will be like, no, 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 not acceptable. Right. And, uh, and I also see some new players trying to come into femtech and if they don't accommodate what we see as women's health, we'll call them out. So there was a new like hormone tracking fitness app and I went on their website and it was all these white women who were models less than a hundred pounds in bikinis on a beach running or lifting weights. And it was like, don't let your period stop you work out like tangentially. And it was just like, no woman has ever worked out in a string bikini with little five pound weights on the beach on her period, like ever. And like and with I, their hair down. Like, yeah. I immediately mean, knew I, like, this isn't a femtech <laughs> founder. Like who is this? And sure enough, it was like a model and her husband and the husband's friends with Peter Thiel. And it got funded and it was like, Oh, there we go. There it is. And so do you see that, that we are building our own culture within in, in, in femtech? I do. And I think what's exciting here is because we then have innovators, right? Potentially consumers and investors who can all be inside the same community, right? That we don't need to be looking to extremely high net worth individuals or outside of our, like potentially the user base at one end or the other. And I think that's kind of really critical of like, we need to start changing a lot of these narratives that that we have around how we market our products, you know, um, we'd be more innovative in what kinds of problems that we're solving and solutions that we're, we're creating. And so I, I think the potential is just really, really exciting, but we're a little bit stuck. I mean, I don't know, Brittany, if you see it, like we're, we're looking forward, but also we're kind of looking around. And so there's like this really hard, hard balance between learning the rules of the game to play the game and just breaking the game, you know, breaking it all apart and saying we're just going to kind of create our own field. I don't know if we're able to create a completely alternative field yet is is kind of my, my feeling. Um, But I think there's the potential to move in, in that 
direction. Like when I think about investing in femtech businesses, right? Like there's about to be a huge shift in sort of generational wealth mm. and it's moving into the hands of women overwhelmingly, right? Hell so yeah. Yeah. That says that, okay, how are we educating, activating, catalyzing these women who, yes, are inheriting wealth from their rich dads and rich husbands and so forth that's another problem but who may be much more open to our our sector right so I think there's a there's like different doors that we need to be knocking on and smashing down yeah it's it's funny you mentioned that it it is beyond technology and investing it's like culture generations right like general Mm-hmm. Um, generational culture. So I was just in Tokyo for uh, FemFest by Fermata. And after one night of uh, me, a bunch of founders, some of the organizers, some of the attendees, we went out to karaoke because you can't go to Tokyo and not karaoke, right? <laughs> and we're not. there and we're singing shared. Like, do you believe in love after love? We're singing it, right? And everyone is just in it. And I just took a look around and we were all wearing whatever we wanted to wear. You know, some people were still in their business clothes. Some people changed kind of nighttime attire, but we had investors and founders and organizers and you like all in the same karaoke room, just sing and share. And it was men and women. There was, I didn't feel, and I'm very like sensitive to this stuff and I'm always looking for it. I didn't feel any power dynamics. I felt like we all saw Mm -hmm. each other as just humans who like are passionate about women's health. And like the conference is over. We're not doing business. Like we're here karaoke. And I thought to myself, my God, when I was working in venture in Houston, Texas, if there was an after party after an oil and gas conference, like this would not be it. It would be at some whiskey bar with men that like, if I walked in may make a weird comment or not talk to me because they thought I was someone's secretary, right? Like very, very different. And so that's, it gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope for what we're building, you know? So, I mean, we talked a lot about this, uh, about like the sector and how it's growing. I'm curious from your perspective, right? You're, you're seeing the growth and I guess I'm interested, where do you think we're succeeding in terms of maybe changing some of the things that we're talking about? Mm. And where do you think maybe we actually are a little bit stuck, right? Or where we're maybe going backwards? Yeah. I think one of the biggest things we're stuck on is that men don't attend our stuff. (laughs) <laughs> like, so when I was at health, there was a, 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 a panel on unicorns aren't real. Right. And by the way, the only unicorns that people on stage referred to are all white male founded, by the way, I was like, there's been unicorns that are female founded, but whatever. And it was packed. Every seat was filled. People were standing around and they were like, okay, our next panel is on the maternal health crisis in the United States. Boom. 75% of people got up and left. You know, I would say 10% of people came back, came in, right? Like a new set of people, but it was 90% women. And it was like nothing in this title or this description said women only, you know? And like, why do, and I've asked some men, I said, Hey, why did you leave? Or why did you not come to this? Or why did you think our Femtech book club wasn't for you? You know? And it was like, they revert to fourth or fifth grade when we got put in different rooms, learned about penises and periods. And, you know, like they think that that's just the girl's room. Let's that's your girl's room. Oh, I'm trying to be respectful. It's actually what they're thinking. And that's what they're saying. Oh, I'm trying to be respectful. You know, like that's your stuff. How do we change that? I think that's one of the critical things because we we can't build this to be the biggest, you know, healthcare movement since like the invention of antibiotics or whatever, right? Like so I want this to femtech to be this pivotal moment in healthcare that it was a huge shift. I don't think we can do that without men being involved. 
but that's a marketing problem, right? Because if you think about the difference, it is a marketing problem. One is the titles, right? The titles for like, is a unicorn real or how, how big is climate tech? Like all of it is about opportunity and potential and money. And we talk about things like the crisis of maternal health. Do you know what that sounds like? That sounds like poor, like it just, to do, what's that, what's that famous woman? You look poor. That's what it sounds like, right? We, we talk yeah. about things from a constraint perspective yeah. and it is a difficult because we don't want to instrumentalize inequity. I think there's a great discomfort and because a lot of women within the femtech space are solving it from a perspective, this is a social problem. So you want to be careful to be like, you can make lots of money off women's yeah. bodies and women's problems. Yeah. But, but this is what other sectors do much better right like when you think about climate tech all you're thinking is just about like it has a sense of like professionalism and opportunity and wealth clean. about it clean, clean. Yeah. when we talk yeah. about femtech like it's there's a there's a smaller like we small it down in some in some ways and I always had that problem when you know there are there are those who really hate the term femtech and it's just like it's a part of health tech and it is and we need a sector that stands alone for a reason mm-hmm. but we do have a marketing problem right we don't mm-hmm. do a great job of building the business case I agree that men have to care, but I think men aren't going to care because they care about women. Let's be honest, right? They don't really give a shit about the gender gap. They don't really care about violence against women. They don't really care about access to SRHR. Not all men, hashtag not all men, right? But the reality is, is the the human rights, the social angle is not is what going to draw people in. It's about understanding that there's an underlying business case for this and being able to connect it to something that is related to, to what they do. And I think we need to do that better as a sector and as an industry. We're, we're oh not gosh. doing that. So like Amazing you're saying right the panels should be like um, um, baby bumps and big bucks. Oh, that is so <laughs> baby bucks and big bucks. <laughs> yes, like yes, crypto just... and cunts. Is that too much? No, <laughs> <laughs> like but just something to get do, them in the door. You know. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I love? Um, obviously, when you and I get together, um, we're a little sassy and spicy. Yes, but are. I've actually been told by one someone they were like, you know, I just don't know if you know, it's really appropriate for, for women to be like using foul language. Like I think we really, you know, um, stop change effects, you know, like how our messages get across. Can we, cause we swear, cause we seem vulgar. And I was like, good. We're trying to be vulgar, right? We're trying to shock you. We're trying to get you to understand that these things matter. Right. And that, that, that it's, that something is, is, is happening here and that you would never tell a man to not use this kind of language but when it comes to when you'd say like you need to be careful how you're perceived and yeah. I, think the value is like, I don't give a shit how I'm perceived like if you put those words on like uh and obviously you'd have to kind of bleep out <laughs> the letters yeah but if you called a panel that I guarantee people would attend mm-hmm. even if they don't care about crypto even if they don't care about vaginas they'd just be like what are they going to talk about yeah that's right that's right well, Milena, let's get a series together of uh, radical panel names um, and, and right. rock that. Uh, we are way over time, but I don't care. And I knew it was going to happen because I adore you and all the work that you do. I'm so excited for her share. Thank you for being, uh, you know, a solution in this like huge gap that we have. And uh, everyone who's interested, uh, whether you're a founder, you're an you're an angel, you don't even know what you are. Like if you're just a human, yeah. uh, penis, vagina, whatever, go to hershare.com. Is that the website? 
hershare.co.co, hershare.co, and uh, sign up for the waiting list. Melena, thank you so much for your time today. I love spending time with you, Brittany. You always rock my world. Thank you for listening to my interview with Melena. Be sure to go to hershare.co to submit your deal or sign up to be an angel investor. Be sure to subscribe to the Femtech Focus newsletter, join our virtual community, and follow us on social media. Share the show with a friend and continue to advocate for women's health innovation, because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.